Welcome. You're listening to Sanseet. Where you'll find everything to do with spirituality, life lessons, holistic living, and medicine. To become your true self. We all have stories, journeys, experiences, and love. Here's your host, Erin O'Dowd. On today's episode of Sanseech, we have returning guests to our show. She has a talk radio show called The Common Sense Psychic. She is an author, and her book is The Energy of Abundance. She is an amazing psychic. Her name is Phyllis King. Hello and welcome to the show today, Phyllis. How are you doing today? Hi, Erin. It's great to be here. I'm great. Thank you. Can you tell us what abundance is? Um, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's the wealth of everything. It's anything from uh, a beautiful flower to an expensive car to uh, a rich and robust relationship uh, to anything that gives you a sense of uh, largeness or completion or regeneration. And, of course, money. And when you hear those words, what comes into your mind? Well, love, of course. I love people. I love my family, my kids. Really, you know, I think people are the wealth ultimately. That um, when I, I teach courses on activating your abundant core, and that is really being able to acknowledge the wealth of you and your relationship to consciousness, if you will, and how perfect that is. And so that's what I think of when I think of abundance, really being able to honor that incredible symbiotic relationship that is inherent in all of us. How can someone combine the nature of love and the abundance of wealth? You know what, I think one of the biggest things is learning how to slow down. We live in a time where fast is the, is the formula. And you know, I, Aaron, I love technology, I love gadgets, I'm all about it, I love it. But technology moves much faster than the human heart. Uh, and we try to use our brilliant mind and the wonder of technology, if you will, as the standard for the pace that we should be going in in life. And we're always trying to do more, faster, and better, and stronger, and all that. And that's all good stuff, but when it comes to being in alignment with uh, the consciousness that gave you life, if you will, it's a feeling proposition. It's really an awareness proposition. And that takes quiet, that takes stillness, or at least slowing down enough to track what your creative mechanism is doing at any, any given time. So step one is really knowing how to be in a, a rhythm, a slow enough rhythm where you can hear yourself. And with this rhythm, how does abundance fit into the rhythm of being slow and then being in the position of love? Well, once you are in alignment or rhythm with yourself and you can be aware of the greater reality, i.e. consciousness, then it's very easy to set any kind of intention. And most often people try to set intention when they're not centered or even tracking what's going on in their creative mechanism. And the other element to that 
is when we aren't centered and tracking what's in our creative uh, mechanism, then we're often, often not connected to ourselves, and that's how we uh, end up creating fragmented results or getting things we think we want, but then when they arrive, they don't satisfy us at all, or they just create more complexity. And is consciousness the engine for all this? The, I love that word, the engine. Let me think about that word for a minute. I'm, I'm a word person, so about <laughs> it. It certainly is the ocean, and each one of us is a wave in the ocean. So uh, I guess you could say it's the engine of the car, I like that, yeah. It's the driving force, and when we let the, the engine uh, propel us forward, it's, it's a better way to go all the way around. What are the principles of abundance? Well, there's a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they're, they're, I, that's sort of misleading. You know, I, I talked to you briefly last week that I have a program that's a year long where I teach 12 specific principles and one a month. Um, so, you know, we don't have time to go over all of those, but essentially, you know, you have to know what your philosophy is. You have to know what I said earlier, what's in your creative mechanism. Uh, and that state of awareness right there is an act of abundance when we're in alignment with ourselves. And then it becomes more about learning how to interact with the tangible life as it presents itself insofar as... How do we deal with grief? How do we deal with avoidance of things that are difficult? How do we stay in integrity? You know, how do we uh, cope with karma? Or how do we put a frame around life so that we can be in a flow as opposed to resisting life? So these types of principles are all important to master if you want to be in that liberal space of just setting intention and having life manifest for you. The principles you just explained, would they be the building blocks um, of abundance? They are. They really are. That's, that's a good chunk of them. Um, and not everyone needs to, for instance, go over all 12 of the factors that I put out in my program because not everyone has to work on everything. But these are the elements that I've seen that get in the way of most people trying to realize what they want. And some people come out higher functioning in one, one area more than another. Um, but certainly um, those are a good place to start. As a stock chart where, this is, where you have highs and lows, can you track the trend of abundance? Well, I think of it more, Aaron, in terms of um, a creative process. You know that you know and I think of it also in terms of karma um, you know karma has a rise and a fall it's like we're climbing a mountain if you will and then we overcome whatever the karmic implications are of our process and then we come down the other side uh, to begin again but in a creative mechanism in terms of abundance what you're trying to make happen it starts with your baseline what is in your resting place? Are you in alignment? And from that point, you set an intention either consciously or unconsciously, and you put that into consciousness, and we have a gestation period for which energy must accumulate to create a manifestation, if you will. 
And so once the gestation period is complete, and it depends on what it is you're creating, you know, I can make lunch in 20 minutes, but it's going to take me a year to write a book, right? So there's a, a the gestation period is different for however long it takes you to generate the energy to match your outcome. And depending upon the clarity of your resting space as well as your intention will determine how closely matched your abundant outcome is with what you're trying to realize in your life. When you say resting phase, is that when you're sleeping? <laughs> I wish. No, <laughs> that's cute. Um, no, it's that place like... Um, I won't call it meditation, but when we talked about at the top of the hour here, um, what is your state of being, your baseline? Can a person identify their baseline? Certainly, but it, it goes back to the very first comment I think I made. It's about being still enough to quiet the noise so you can listen to your, your system, listen to your body, not just your mind, um, because a lot of us tend... It's human nature to try and distract ourselves or stimulate ourselves with all kinds of whatever it is. And it takes us away from really being with ourselves to say, what is my current state of being? Am I sad? Am I happy? Am I stressed out? Am I, you know, what am I? And what is contributing to the totality of me in this moment? Why am I where I am? Who am I in this moment? Is there a particular type of meditation you use to get the, the person into this space? There isn't one. I think whatever helps you stop the thoughts or whatever. You know, I do a lot of readings and I do a lot of sessions. And so um, clarity for myself a lot. I mean, that's one of the, the bonuses of my job. I have to be in kind of a centered space to do what I do. But anything that stops the brilliant mind, that ticker tape that you <laughs> from from dominating your experience, and and you can do it through you know slow breathing, you know you can do it through exercise. Some people get clarity when they get to that place where the endorphins release. Uh, just take a walk in nature. Just mainly being still long enough to silence the mind. And in silencing the mind, have you come across the chemical compound that creates abundance? chemical compound that creates abundance you know define chemical I'm, I'm talking about like when you meditate your body creates dopamine ester, uh, other hormones I'm just wondering is there a a body function that happens if you go through abundance or not I don't think so I mean the body responds to what we tell it to do and so um, yeah, but it's not the other way around that the body itself will generate something that will create abundance. It all starts internally. Okay, and um, as a psychic, how does abundance fit into you? Mm. Well, for me personally, um, being born psychic was an abundant act. And, you know, I supposedly, from everything I know, I... I chose to be here and I chose my parents and I chose to have this body and to have certain personality traits and gifts and talents and uh, even though it's been an interesting journey it really is a gift to be able to perceive intangible reality 
and it's offered me enormous landscape to uh, discover and travel in the course of my life, which ultimately, you know, when I started out many years ago, all I did was psychic readings. Uh, but because my thirst for spirituality and um, helping people was so profound, I just continued to learn more and more and more, which brought me into the land of <clears throat> abundance training and what makes what makes things happen, what makes things not happen, so that I could fill in the blanks for folks, uh, not just say why something's going to happen or not happen. So for personally, for me, being psychic has been a really abundant experience, very expansive in all ways, and it really was the doorway to everything else. And for other people, when I'm in a session, you know, I really get to help people see what their possibilities are, which is really a wonderful thing. Uh, and especially if someone's in a, a down state of being, you know, or having a hard time, then you can kind of say, well, you just have to make this turn and, you know, walk up these stairs and, you know, there's a, the sun shining around the corner here. And that's, a, that's a, an abundant act for me that I share with someone else. And then the, the last part, being able to really put some practical steps in there, um, understanding the principles of abundance and how things create themselves is just you know, just frosting on the cake. Do you find it hard trying to uh, debate between tangible and intangible in your work? Well, no. It's all the same to me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, you know, I'm sitting at my table, you can maybe hear me. It, that's a tangible thing, but I know that it's made of energy. And, you know, I put it under a microscope and I'm going to see atoms moving around. So, it's all the same. There's greater densities and you know, different things that go on, but um, it's all intangible to me at the end of the day. And how do people around you interact with um, the psychic and abundance part of you? Well, my clients <clears throat> obviously come to me, or maybe it's not obvious, <clears throat> pardon me, but they come to me because they want, they want to solve something or they want to up-level their lives in some way. And so they're just sort of open to say, you know, give me what you got, whatever it is, I'm open. And then they metabolize that. Now, just folks out in the world, I mean, I'm just um, like everybody else. I just uh, out there being the uh, highest vibration person I can to anyone I meet. And so they just experience me as they would experience you. Do you find it hard to stay in that high state of vibration? Not anymore. I mean, but I've been at this 30 years, so <clears throat> I've had a lot of practice. But, you know, I, I have my moments. You know, I have my own karma that I work with, say, with relationships or, you know, I have children, and so I have to deal with their challenges and such. And, um, you know, I have neighbors. <laughs> you know, I have, I have the same day-to-day -day as anyone else. But for the most part, I... Uh, I choose how I'm going to respond and react internally because I know that will feed the momentum that is creating my future reality. So I'm, I'm pretty careful about it. And, you know, no matter how skilled you are, unless you're a master and then you're not on this planet anymore, <laughs> you know, if there's not something to work on and evolve beyond, then, you know, what are you going to do? Just sit around and drink Mai Tais all day? Yeah, that sounds nice, but no, that doesn't how it work. <laughs> uh, so, so you talked about karma. Does does 
is your abundance affected by your own karma as well? Absolutely. You know, some of us are born with a birthright to come into enormous wealth, which is a small percentage of the population. Some of us have a karma that we will achieve enormous wealth uh, because you can put the identical people with skill sets, personality, appearance, educational background, what have you, one will become, you know, a multimillionaire and the other will struggle. So uh, that that's the effect of karma. And uh, each of us is trying to evolve ourselves in a certain way. Um, and so, and, and even in my abundance program, I teach people how to identify their own karmic patterns so they can work with it, not against it. So yeah, it definitely in, impacts. And I mean, it impacts in terms of if you just want to be enormously wealthy uh, financially, it does impact that. But your ability to access and uh, tune into abundant flow is available to anyone. And what is that process? It is essentially um, just going back to the, the basic premise, knowing your baseline what's your resting place what is in your creative mechanism being in alignment with where you are this moment and then how you direct your energy is it in uh is it in concert with consciousness or are you in resistance and when you're in the flow with consciousness you feel free you feel effortless you feel uh, clarity and those are the types of feelings that you uh, you know you're on track that you're in flow and the more practice you have with it you recognize it very quickly when you are in and when you aren't with the creative process is that the words you speak to your your inner self well no those are the words I speak to my clients <laughs> <laughs> what I say to myself is Wow, Phyllis, this thing has really got you right now. Okay, is you know you don't want to be in this muck too much longer because it's not going to take you any place you want to go. I mean, that's my internal dialogue. I, I talk myself through things, and I have a lot of strategies I apply for myself. Um, but I, you know, the words, you know, I'm just uh, putting words to it that other people can hopefully um, utilize as opposed to my inner dialogue. <laughs> So, so your inner dialogue is the creative process to help create the abundance, right? Absolutely, and that's one of the most important elements of the creative process, mastering the internal dialogue. Uh, because we can take action all day long, we can, we can win a lottery, whatever, but if we don't have the mind mastered and the, ma the mind is telling us we're inadequate or we don't know how or whatever that limited statement is, we will never be able to maintain abundance. And we talk about wealth, we talk about uh, like physical aspects of abundance, but are there other areas of abundance that, that we don't know about? Probably. Um, I, if, if I wouldn't know how to define them, but I know there's many dimensions to this life and uh, we probably can't squeeze all of them into the human experience. But for most people, uh, abundance circles somewhere around how do I spend my time? Am I free to spend my time the way I want to? Can I do what I want with my money? Do I have enough money to do what I want? Uh, do I have love and support and 
in my life? And um, am I making contributions that are potent and make me feel like I matter? And I think most abundance circles around one of those topics in some form. How does the spirit sense all this? Um, well, spirit is us. You know that we are a spiritual being having a human experience, and the more we identify with our spiritual nature. Uh, the better, because the spirit is what transcends the physical. And so when we identify with the more expanded form of consciousness, which is spiritual, um, we're simply aligning with higher expansive ideals. When you align with physical issues, that's the limited form of consciousness. It's finite. It's really designed for experience on this planet. So um, moving toward a spiritual reality as the totality is just a better way to go all the way around. And I think people try to do that through religion and various practices, and some of them can take you a certain distance. But there's no way to get around acknowledging your spiritual uniqueness um, at the end of the day. That's what we've come in for, is that uniqueness. So. Um, uh, in in your talk show, Con Common Sense Psychic, do you talk about these areas as well? Well, my radio show is mostly a caller-driven call program where people call in with their problems and questions, and I do answers and solutions on the air. Um, but I do have guests as well, like you, Not probably not as often, but once every couple of months, and I like to cover topics like this and hear other abundance experts and, you know, all kinds of things of people who are progressing, uh, people on a real deep level. In, in doing this for 30 years, what did you learn? <laughs> well, in my book, The Energy of Abundance, that pretty much sums it up. Uh, it was funny when I got that book deal, I literally wrote that book in about 30 days. And I've written other books and it's taken me two years, but, um, they wanted me to write a book on abundance. or they, No, I had the book, and I thought, what am I going to write about? <laughs> and I thought, why don't I just write about what I teach? And that's why it came out so quickly. Um, but, you know, essentially, there's, there's just a handful of elements that we have to master. And they're all related to our human experience anyhow. Am I happy? What causes me to be happy? Um, how do I get through difficult moments to get back to that high vibration state? Um, how do I deal with my karma? How do I understand why my relationships are complicated and make them not so complicated? So, you know, there's like we talked about, you know, some time ago, but there's only a handful of elements we really need to master to have life really work in a tremendous way for us. They're all the questions we all have, but do you have any quick fix answers like a shot of cocaine or something like that could uh, <laughs> fix it? Well, look, at um, abund number 101, let's just say 101 in abundance, see it. See it everywhere. Look for it. You know, so often we're trapped in this isn't working, that isn't working, I don't have enough of this, I don't have enough of that. Look for it. Make it your mission on a daily basis to look for the abundance. And like I said earlier, whether it's a flower, whether it's a, a beautiful day, whether it's an expensive house, whatever, 
you know, back a few years ago, uh, I would look outside my office window in my house, and I had these beautiful little perennial flowers in my front yard, and my son at the time was young enough, he had a tricycle, and he'd just run right over them, and they'd flatten them. But in two or three days, they'd pop right back up. But I'm like, well, that's abundance in action right there. So just being able to see the miracle of life all the time in tangible form. Because then what happens is uh, you sort of you program your energy fields, your aura, if you will, uh, to be full of all these this appreciation and acknowledgement of what life is doing in the simplest ways all the time. And the more you do that, the more you see it happening in larger and more significant ways because what you put your attention on is what you're going to create more of. So see it everywhere. Just make it your mission. I mean, that's one of the big ones. Why do you think we so focus on simplicity? Um, oh, okay. Well, we don't focus on it because culture is telling us that our happiness is outside of us. Is telling us that our abundance is outside of us when the opposite is true. Um, and it's not that things aren't good and are fun to have, but everything emanates from your balance internally. Uh, but having that constant pull from the external reality telling you that it's the dominant reality is a powerful force. And, you know, I think we're tribal by nature. We want to belong, we want to conform. And so we go with the masses, even with when the masses are not correct. Um, that's the negative side, if you want to use that word. Uh, but, but we focus on simplicity because why not? It's like, why not keep it simple? And it isn't complicated. You know, I think the divine made it that way for us so that we can evolve ourselves. If the secrets to the universe were hard to discover, no one would be able to uncover the secrets of the universe and how to master the life experience. It's available, but it comes through simplicity, through slowing down, paying attention, tracking yourself, and making corrections or adjustments based upon what your authentic need is or belief in the moment. Yeah, and with the age of technology, it become, it's becoming more harder. Is there a simple way of, of doing that? Well, it's certainly if you have community or you have people around you who support your views and encourage you in your thinking and your beliefs, it's helpful. I mean, that's why people go to church and why people... Uh, attend all kinds of organizations. It's nice to have your views mirrored back to you. So community is can be really helpful. You know, I have the benefit of this is my business, so all I do is talk about this stuff all the time. But most people don't have that. They have a regular day-to-day -day job, and not. I don't mean to diminish day-to-day. -day. I mean it's just I'm in a, a different type of a box. Um, but that's certainly helpful. And if not carving out some time and it's self-care is what it is uh, just making time for you to be with yourself so that you can know where you are authentically and then have a clear sense about where you want to go based upon who you are not what someone else is telling you you should do or be as a person who uses gadgets, do you find your area of work hard to come back into the moment to help clients? 
No, not really. Not really. I mean, yeah, you can get lost in it sometimes if you're creating videos or whatever it is you're doing, but um, it's just part of the job. And I, I don't know, I've always liked technology. I think it's fun. It works. It makes <laughs> it makes sense. Um, a plus B equals C. It's, and, you know, it's fun to put things together. So not really, you know. say that I do make a point to put my smartphone down. You know, there's a time I just put it away from me. I don't, I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't want to be connected. Um, as, a, as a psychic, what would be your interpretation of psychic and mediumship? Well, they're different. They're the same and they're different. Um, psychic is t really receiving impressions about things, events, people, circumstances. Mediumship is really, it's a different frequency where you're actually tuning in to people who have passed. Um, so they're different, but they're, you know, really valuable, both of them, and serve a purpose, a great purpose. And which one out of the two would you be? Well, I do both, but I'm primarily a psychic. I do mediumship work for my clients who want it, um, but I'm primarily a psychic and, um, you know, and really have transformed so much into being a mentor, but using my psychic ability to, as I said, help people see their possibilities and then helping them get there. Out of the two, which one do you find pulls on your energy more for a reading? Um, I, mediumship pulls more on my energy. It's not my. It's not what I do all the time. I just find it. Uh, well, it's a different. You know, they're, they're all like radio stations. You turn into certain ones, and I've been tuning into the psychic radio station a very long time. <laughs> you tune into the mediumship, uh, and you're, you know, and some people actually will ch channel the entity. I don't want to channel. I don't want anybody in my space. Um, but it has a different effect, and because often there's a lot of emotion attached uh, to either the person who's passed or the person who's receiving the information, it just has a different uh, heaviness, not a heaviness, but thickness to the energy. So, um, I wonder what the radio station for uh, spiritual and goddess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, you can get back to me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, do you use decks of cards to read, or is it just based on energy? Well, at this point, I just read energy. Um, many years ago, I started out with tarot cards, and I, I, I've taught the tarot. I like it. Uh, it's a good training tool. Um, and just the tarot, I found, for me, um, not for, this is just my experience with it, is that it forces you in a certain direction. And I don't want that, I, you know. And, and it's a kind of an amazing tool because the cards will turn out, it's pretty remarkable that they really re reflect what's going on in a person's life and what will transpire. But again, for me, I found it a bit confining and that's why I don't do it for my readings. Why do you find it confining? Well, the imagery is really potent, and there's hundreds and hundreds of years that have gone with the uh, with the tarot, and so you bring all that forward with you when you access that frequency, if you will. And you know, if you look at any tarot book or anything, you'll see there are all the meanings and such that 
have come down over the centuries and it's sort of programmed into the flow of reading the cards and um, it, it can influence you or direct you in a certain way and often it's correct but I don't really want to be directed I just want to I want to ferret out the information on my own is you talked about vibration frequency is there a particular frequency that and vibration that you bring to your work well <clears throat> on the spectrum I mean and it is a spectrum you know on one side you're gonna have apathy boredom and depression and all the way over to the other side you have enthusiasm happiness and joy and everything else in between I try to bring balance and I'm always trying to show people their highest potential and so that's, you know, it's not too different than the state of being you see me in right now. Um, I try to be balanced, but in more of an enthusiastic space and compassionate. So those are what I try to embody during a session. And the emotion that you explained, are they at a certain frequency or higher? Yeah, I'm on the, the mid to high end spectrum. And when you say spectrum, I uh, do you have? A, can you explain that to us? Yeah, I didn't do a good job earlier, clearly, but it is. You know, I think of it like in my book. I think I drew like a rainbow, the arch, and on one side it starts at violence and anger, and then we get into depression and boredom, and then as you go up over the arch, it goes into, you know, um, mediocrity or to. Um, and what's the words? The words aren't coming to me, but more of the mid-range of effort and concern and worry. And then you get further over where it's more into generosity, kindness, enthusiasm, optimism. And, and then that's on the other side of that rainbow arch, if you will. And so the fact that it arches isn't relevant. It's just to see that there's a whole uh, uh, range and so, and on the on the lower range, uh, say where violence and apathy and boredom, those are thick, slow-moving uh, frequencies. And when you get into anger and violence, those are actually edgy frequencies. You can actually feel them in your system differently, and and they are more coarse and more um, and slower. And as you go across the spectrum, they become faster and not as dense and so by the time you get to the other side where it's uh, the generosity and optimism those are really thinner faster more spacious frequencies and when you're talking about abundance abundance all forms happen in the high frequency vibration spectrum and so the more you can align with that as your state of being <clears throat> then it, that's when it begins to happen more organically Wow, and can you feel the the what you just explained when a client enters your your clinic? Absolutely. Well, you could too if you were practiced at it, uh, but absolutely. And is it the exact same feelings that you just described? Yes, exactly. And and if someone came in angry, what would it feel like? Kind of like soup or thickness? Or, <laughs> Um, but, you know, at the same time, um, 
<clears throat> I have a lot of techniques uh, for grounding and protection. And, you know, I show up for people as long as they're showing up. I show up too and, you know, I can, I don't take it personally when someone else has an issue. I'm there to be of service and I walk them through it and I help them get to a better place. But it's certainly uncomfortable, but discomfort isn't necessarily, doesn't mean something is wrong. It just means, well, I don't really like this this minute, <laughs> but I, st you know, you stay with it until you can transform it into something different. And when someone comes in with the, the positive, high frequency, what does that feel like? Oh, that's great fun. I mean, of course you love those people. I mean, they just like bring in their wonderful juju and you get to be with it. It's wonderful. And after they leave, do you still stay in the high or do you kind of bring yourself back to grounded and normal? Well, I get out of teacher slash psychic mode and just go into Phyllis mode. Um, and go get a sandwich or <laughs> whatever I'm doing. Um, as, as a psychic, do you have to continue improving your tools or how do you improve over time? Um, yes, the more you read, the better you get. There's no way around it. Psychic reading, <clears throat> for the most part, 99% of the time is an experiential process. You have to understand how your particular system works and you have to learn how to interpret the signals the way they come into your system. And so the more practice you have with that, the better it gets. And then, of course, the more people you've read, the more times you've had to experience different... I mean, you can read 25 people who are talking about their love life, and it'll all be different. So, you know, just having all that experience really makes a difference in how... And not only accurate you'll be, but um, the kind of information you can give. And in terms of uh, just improving in general, I'm always a student. I'm still a student. Uh, I still mentor with people all the time. I always have a mentor, actually, of some sort. Very rarely do I not, um, because, you know, we can never know all there is to know. Whenever you master one level, there's always another whole library full of books <laughs> that need to be read. What are the signals that you have to learn? In psychic reading specifically, you have to first uh, determine, are you uh, visual, are you auditory, are you sensory, uh, are you a combination, are you, are you telepathic, what are you? So you, that again, you have to be able to try it on a little bit and start to understand how your system works. And most people have some sense at the beginning. And then once you're, you sort of understand, oh, I get pictures then you can begin to focus on, say, your chakras, your energy centers, and which part of your body um, you're going to go to for your information, if that's the way you're going to do it. Or, um, yeah, and so once you know your system, then you just begin practicing. Like, for instance, I had a psychic development class uh, last year in the fall, and one of my students, <laughs> he just kept on getting... Every image came as an animal. It was a giraffe, or a hippopotamus, or a wolf, or a bear. And then that's just how it worked for him. He just was really related to the animal world in some way. But it didn't matter what the question was. It just always came through an animal. And if he didn't have the support to sit there and learn to delineate his own uh, imagery, he wouldn't have stuck with it. But then it turned out he gave some incredible psychic readings because he just had the permission and the time to sit there and understand his system.
What sensory type are you? Well, I'm clairvoyant. Uh, I'm also sensory, uh, uh, second chakra, I'm an empath, and I'm also pretty telepathic. Um, I don't think about it too much anymore. It's really rather automatic, but uh, certainly clairvoyant. How do you adjust from the Phyllis hat to the psychic hat to the, <laughs> to the teacher hat? Um, well, just like anyone who goes to work, you go do your job and then you stop. You don't want to do your job otherwise. Um, I do have some techniques and practices I do mainly when I'm doing live appearances or groups uh, because so many people are throwing their energy at me and trying to climb into my space uh, that I have to get people out of my space afterwards. Um, but other than that, um, I just make a separation on purpose and I, I always make sure my client feels complete so that they're not reaching out to me after, you know, telepathically and I just create a boundary for myself to go about my life. Do you find it hard creating that boundary? Not anymore. I used to. I mean, it, it, I took a little practice. And does it take time to practice this? You know, it takes time, but not as much as you would think. I think anything you practice, you're going to get good at in a relatively short period of time, whether it's an instrument or, or riding a bike. I mean, if you just apply yourself, uh, there's techniques and information out there that's been available for many, many thousands of years. You just, you know, avail yourself of it and it will work. So, for instance, learning how to separate, do separation techniques, um, how long did it take me? You know, it, it's not an all or nothing thing, Aaron. It's not like one day I have separation and the next day I don't or vice versa. Rather, you practice it and then all of a sudden the space in between when you notice it's not working becomes less and less. Or, or for instance, in I was very skilled at separating on, during one-on-one -on -one sessions, but groups I had to learn that that was different. You know, I'd come home and it just... People are just talking in my ears, <laughs> I'm like, shut up, the question and answer time is over. And I learned that um, a different way I had to deal with that. So different situations require different things, but had I not gone through the experience, I wouldn't have known. In the physical world, we have a time period of how the mind and body um, progresses. Is that the same in the spiritual world as the psychic? No. Um, we have, you know, I look at someone's blueprint when I do a reading, and often that will tell me roughly their lifespan and will tell me the themes that they will go through during their life, i.e. childhood, college, relationships, uh, illness period, contribution, whatever. And, and people or spirit actually wants to evolve and master those themes before they exit the physical experience. So that's very different. And in the spiritual realm, there is no time. It, time and space are not um, real. That's of the physical world. It's really about state of balance and being. So uh, say you cross over and you return to pure essence where all is bliss and clarity is supreme and love prevails 
it's kind of like being on vacation. <laughs> but everybody gets tired of being on vacation after a while and wants to go do something, and that's when we choose to reincarnate. But again, it's a balance issue once you don't have a body, as opposed to when you have a body, it's a finite experience. Everyone dies. Um, so it is very different. When you look at those blueprints, what questions run through your head? Well, what I ask myself about a person's blueprint is, first of all, what are their what are they here? What are their primary things they're here to work on? And usually it's two, maybe three, sometimes more. And usually it's uh, that's the first thing I'll look at because it'll tell me a lot about their personality, what their childhood's been like, and you know what they're really working on. Uh, it could be on contribution. It could be on overcoming victim. It could be on being a leader or a vision. It could be any number of things. Um, and then I look at the themes. Where are they in the themes of their life? You know, which which chapter are they in? And are they on target uh, for what they're trying to uh, get done in the course of this lifetime? As as science is trying to. Um progress people's aging in life um, when you look up a blue chart like or a blueprint like that do you think that is possible um, sure I think so I'm sure we'll get there at some point so so you, you really think that the blueprint and uh, genetics and aging could um, progress to a point where the the spirit and the human body could live longer um, well I it's not if it's only a matter of when, um, but it's a long ways off, and you know the body is a burden. <laughs> it's not. Uh, granted, we want to keep as long as we have a body. We want it to be healthy, and we want to be able to have as much enjoyment as we possibly can in this in this experience. But. Everything on the external, including the body, is a manifestation of the internal consciousness and awareness. So, yeah, we can, we'll get there because that's the nature of human beings. We're going to continue to evolve theoretically as long as we don't blow ourselves up and start all over. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it will happen. Not in my lifetime, but it will happen. Okay. Phyllis, who inspires you? Um, a lot of people, but my current mentor, um, she's a teacher for um, Ananda, which is a worldwide organization. Uh, her name is Asha, and I have Swami Asha Praver. And I, she inspires me because she's, um, of the way she presents herself and the depth of her information, and she's extremely funny, and, you know, it's just... It's just a, a wealth of information and kindness. So, uh, but uh, plenty of people, friends, and family members, anybody who overcomes adversity and rises up to to really show their spirit again and come back at life uh, better than before. I, I find that really inspiring. If you could give advice to your twenty-year-old self, what would it be? <laughs> oh, I can't read my polls all that. Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> um, is there anything? 
You know, I, if anything, I'd say slow down. And maybe that's why I've repeated that multiple times during our conversation today because um, I'm someone who can move a lot of energy and a lot of people are like me. They're really skilled at moving energy about and creating stuff, but then it ends up being not what I wanted at all. I just thought I wanted it. But if I would have slowed down a little more, then I would have thought things through and really not been in such a rush. Um, I could have avoided some missteps and and, and gotten further uh, quicker. So I would say speed is can often be the enemy. Yeah, speed is really. You move too quick and you crash. Uh-huh. And uh, to be honest, we talk about the mind, the body, and the spirit, but they all have to crash at some stage if you're run, running that fast. Yes. In in everything you've seen so far, um, is there anything that, that kind of brings to mind that you would say, hmm, I like to explore that, or, or wow, I like to review on that? Uh, oh gosh, there's so many things I still want to explore and still want to do. I just lack the, the time at the moment to do so. Um, I mean, there's different parts of the world and different traditions I want to explore and different cultures I would love to visit and uh, you know mainly around spirituality and teachers and things like that but also contribution uh, yeah there's just a whole bunch of things I would love to do and see and <laughs> be part of in some way but I don't have to squeeze it all in in this lifetime it would be cool if you could but what makes you tick to do to read and explore and teach the area of spirituality? Uh, because it's brought so many answers to my own life, but um, I also feel obliged. I feel it's what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, when I was 19, uh, that was a real turning point for me because a friend of mine who had passed away in a car accident. Uh, showed up in my house three months after he was dead and it was not only one of the most terrifying (laughs) things that ever happened to me but it was one of the most awe-inspired events and it really cracked me open in a big way because not only um, did I know life didn't end with the body but I felt it on just an extreme level I just it's, it's really a knowing that can be explained with words And to know that life doesn't end and to have that sense of peace, because that's what it gave me, was a sense of peace that I didn't have to take it all quite so seriously and, uh, you know, that we can just live and do what we need to do um, was an incredible gift to me. And so to have that experience and to be able to, uh, in essence, uh, transfer that to people through my work, it's a tremendous gift. Yeah, it is. And did that fuel your inspiration to help people? It did. It wasn't automatic. I was immediately inspired after that event, and I, <clears throat> I've had a voracious appetite for spiritual information ever since then. Uh, and But my, at the beginning, it was really about me. It was like, okay, what is this stuff? What do I do about it? Meaning, I didn't want to have dead people showing up. (laughs) I'm like, I don't want this. Um, I wanted to get on top of it. So it was really like, how do I manage this psychic ability? What does it mean about God and life? So I had to put some pieces together for myself first, and then it just became a natural uh, evolution in terms of 
helping others and just liking to help others as well. Do you find it a, a burden? Um, you probably don't, but do you feel like that time uh, when you have a, a an issue or something pops up to make you question what you do? Not anymore. I mean, when I was younger and I used to be more influenced by what other people thought or the media or critics or skeptics, whomever, you know, I might fly under the radar a bit more, but um, I, that's not part of my reality anymore. When you say reality, does that mean like what you're thinking or what's in your energetic fields? No, I just do me in the world. I just, I, I go out in the world and I'm me and whatever that is. Now, that being said, if I go to my kid's school and I'm talking to some other parents and they say, oh, hi, I'm so-and-so and who are you and what do you do? I mean, I may not say, well, I'm a common sense psychic. I might say, well, I'm a, I'm a business coach or a life coach. You know, I might scale it down a bit. Not because I'm embarrassed or I don't want people to know, but other people can get really charged up about it. And I don't want to make them uncomfortable. You know, and primarily uh, very religious people can get really worked up. And why work them up? You know, they, they're perfectly happy and content with me. Why, why get them all upset over nothing? Because most of the time people who get upset about it really just don't understand it. When you finish up this, this life and you go back up to, to heaven and you go and look at your view, what do you think your conversation with God would be? I expect it will be pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I have a different point of view, of course. I think when we, and this is from my friends who have had near-death experiences, that when we transition, we have what was called a panoramic life review, where we essentially experience everything that we have done, said, or contributed in a lifetime, even to others, as if it was done to us. So we feel and really absorb the totality of our experience through that panoramic life review when we return. And so that's essentially the reckoning, if you will. But it's done so in a field of love. So whatever missteps you took or wrong choices or whatever, you know, you get to look at it while you're being held in the palms of love. And then after that, we return to our tribe and we get to connect with uh, people who we don't even know we're connected with. And so I'm expecting it would be a wonderful reunion and a time to replenish and bring everything up to speed and have a, have a rest before I go back out to school again. Phyllis, where can we find you? Well, my name, Phyllis King, it's P-H-Y-L-L-I-S King, PhyllisKing.com, or Google the Common Sense Psychic, and there I will be. Phyllis, I want to say thank you for coming to the show and sharing your uh, stories, knowledge, journey, experiences. Aaron, it's been my pleasure. I just really had a great time. Thanks for having me back. Thank you for spending the time to listen to the show. If you want to learn more, check out Sanseat.com. That's S-A-N-C-I-T dot com. Join Sanseat Group on Facebook and contact us if you have any questions. Until next time, have an awesome day and rock on.